podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Ah, well, the day after the end of a magical test series has always a sense of hollowness as the Border Gavaskar Trophy ended yesterday with India 2-1 victors. Welcome to Cricket Unfiltered. We're live on YouTube and, of course, recording for the podcast. I'm Andrew Mensel. People call me Menas, and I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Dennett. Paul, we both made an appearance on Indian TV over the weekend. G'day, manners. G'day, everyone. Yes, we did. That was a lot of fun, and um, it was. Uh, yeah, it's been a a very good series. You're right. It's a, there's a strange sense of uh, slight melancholy at the end of it all, um, and um, I, I think it's good, it's going to be interesting in the years to come how I look back on this series because I thought the first three tests were absolutely some of the most captivating cricket I'd seen in a long time. Last test put a bit of a left things on a slightly um, sour note. Uh, but also it's going to be interesting how we view the Australian performance because uh, having played so well in the final two test matches, it does make you start to do a few what-ifs and, um, geez, um, there's a few moments in those first two test matches that I bet they wish they could um, relive and maybe do a little bit better. Uh, I think India were definitely the better side. Uh, but, yeah, it was an intriguing series. It's quite incredible to think India have won the last four Border Gavaskar series, 2-1, two, two in Australia, two in India. So clearly uh, the dominant side when it comes to, you know, the two teams. But I think we're catching them. Yeah. Um, I, I think um, I, I probably said this uh, last time in the lead up to the series. In fact, I'm sure I did. But I'll say it again. I think if, you know, this upcoming summer they were coming out here again, then I would expect that Australia could beat them in Australian conditions. I think that, um, as I said in the, in the podcast the other day, I think we'll start as narrow favourites in somewhat neutral conditions at the Oval, although I suppose they, those conditions might favour Australia a little bit more. But I suppose, have we really progressed since 2017? Um, you know, 2017 felt like we came closer to, to beating India in India. Six years later... I think we've got a better side than we had in 2017, um, but ultimately still on the losing side of things. So, um, yeah, I hope that the necessary focus is put on it by Cricket Australia for the, the 2027 series. Seems a long time away. I think we've got a better team now, but our tactics in 2017 were better and we were better prepared. Yeah. Um, so that's the frustrating thing. Uh, we're going to get into some headlines. J- just on our appearance on Indian TV, now we've got a lot of Indian listeners. We're on a channel called News X. So if, if you're a fan, let us know because I don't know much about it, but I'd love to hear from you if you watch News X. 
X. And I decided Paul to be in my best behavior for these appearances. No, um, no wild statements like I made on Star Sports about <laughs> Jasper Boomerah uh, learning to measure his run up and then never being invited back. Uh, so I'm not burning any bridges this time. But um, yeah, uh, if, if anyone watches that station, let us know what it's like because, you know, Paul and I were invited and, you know, we just go on most things, but I don't know much about it. All right. Now you mentioned, um, well, you did throw, you did great. As soon as you said India were going to, you were worried about India uh, on those last two days of the test. They just played that clip over and over on, on Twitter. Um, now <laughs> you, you mentioned the world test championship finals. So as we said in our daily wrap, it is confirmed Australia will take on India at the oval. Uh, it, it, surprisingly, it's just a week after the IPL final, Paul, which I think gives Australia a slight advantage because we will have some players in the IPL, but it won't be as many as the Indian squad. So I, I think Australia just gets a slight advantage with that. Yeah, um, and it's also – it then only precedes the Ashes by a handful of days. I think it's – um it's only about five days after the end of that match that the first Ashes test starts. Uh, the cricket calendar is hilarious. That you know, uh, The fact that it precedes the, um, that it follows the IPL by only a week didn't come as, as a surprise to me at all. Um, you know, it wouldn't have surprised me if, if the IPL final was on the same day as the, you know, as the test match. If India said, we're going to send our third 11. Like, that, that's the, the, the ludicrous nature of the cricketing schedule. Something's got to be done, but... Um, you know, every time you look at it with a view to thinking what could be done, you realise just how difficult it is, I suppose. Yeah, Sharma was talking about preparing mm. for the, the, the World Test Championship and then he sort of started doing the maths in his head about when the IPL final was. And he sort of said, I'll, I'll get as much preparation in as I can. Um, so, yeah, if I was an Indian fan, I'd be a little bit concerned about that. Uh, now, in the Australian papers, uh, Daniel Bretting, Brettig, is reporting that the World Test Championship final might be Warner's last test match. Now, Paul, I heard those comments from Andrew McDonald, and I don't – it's certainly a possibility, but what really annoys me is this ludicrous notion that the selectors would pick Warner with a view to dropping him after that match. The only way this would work is if Warner says, I'm going to retire at the end of the World Test Championship final, and then they pick him as a sort of last hurrah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, he's either good enough to be in the side for um, more than one test or, or he's not good enough to be in there at all. You know, if they picked him for the World Test Championship final because they thought he's genuinely in their best 11 and then into the, the Ashes organically, they then decided he wasn't in their best 11 for the first test, then that's okay. But to kind of, um, you know, if the viewpoint is that that's going to be his last test, that seems a little bit strange to me. Yes, yeah, so there was also some chatter around maybe using the sh- the schedule as a way of sort of making this sound, sound palatable to Warner and the public that maybe Warner doesn't want to spend all year on the road away from his family. And, you know, if he wants to play in the 50-over World Cup, the Ashes is a sort of logical thing to maybe have a rest from. He can, you know, play in the IPL, uh, do the World Test Championship final, retire from Test cricket, have a rest, then play the 50-over World Cup. I mean, I don't mind that plan, but as I said, Warner has to be on board because what do the selectors do? Go, well, we'll pick Warner, but then we'll leave him out of the ashes. And he, he belts 100 in the World Test Championship final, and then you have to pick him to face Broad and, and Co. So uh, unless Warner's on board, the selectors just have to pick the best team. 
It's a strange situation that you could say to someone, put your arm around them. Listen, mate, um, we really see big plans for you. We've got some exciting news. We're going to do this, this. Oh, yeah, you're not playing in the Ashes. But um, other than that, it's all good. <laughs> Wasn't that long ago. That'd be, what's the, you know, what's the point? Exactly. All right, let's get into the headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. And I think it's a good time to re- reflect on the, the test series that just was. Um, there was some, you know, nice some good sentiments after the game i thought steve smith steve smith talking about the good spirit between the two sides i uh, was actually actually very notable that this was a a series in played in much better spirit than the 2017 series in india and even the last home series in australia that wasn't in a a bad spirit but it did get a bit niggly towards the end especially when australia started sort of losing that series and it got a little bit niggly so this was a a nice series in in terms of spirit yes and i know that i've been banging on about this for ages but i think that's a really good point it was a lovely series to behold as was the the series against pakistan um before that now some people who are all for the mongrel and the nasty australians and you've got to be absolutely um fuming at the <laughs> steam coming out of your ears to play your best cricket. I, I just don't understand that. I just think that um, surely this was a, a more, um, you know, uh, a grander series as a result. And even back in the last series when there's that whole, um, they, they, were, they were lying, not lying, they were praising um, Tim Payne for saying, oh, can't wait to get you up to the Gabba Ash and, um, uh, those kind of comments and everything else. And we didn't need it in this series and we didn't have it. And the, the only thing that happened with that, um, can't wait you'd get to you, can't wait to get you to the Gabba Ash. People in India now wear that on a, on their T-shirt based on <laughs> what then did happen at the Gabba, that it, um, India had one of their most famous victories of all time. So I think it's great. I think that the Australian players deserve a lot of credit. Uh, credit. I think Pat Cummins deserves credit. I think Steve Smith deserves credit. And I think that um, so do the Indians. I think Rohit Sharma deserves credit. Virat Kohli um, as well. I mean, that 2017 featured that horrible sort of uh, moment where Virat Kohli really lost it with the Aussies and lost a lot of um, friendship with the Aussies. And I just think it's nice. And I think that, uh, as I've always said, you look at all the some of the champions in in other sports of Roger Federer and um, great golfers and others that haven't needed to be boorish and uh, and nasty. Um, yet the Australian effort was still every bit as strong. You know they're still running after balls, diving, uh, sliding to stop fours that uh, other sides probably wouldn't stop. Usman Khawaja batted marathon innings. You know they're, they're they're trying every bit as hard as they ever have, but just playing with a bit more grace. And I absolutely applaud it. Yeah, I I also think that there was, you know, it was a hard series and you could even tell you that when Marnus came out to bat on the last day, he got a lot more chatter than the rest of the Aussie batters because he's always talking when the Indians are batting. So, but it was, it was, it had no nastiness to it. That's what I liked about it. It seemed to just stay, you know, stay out in the middle and then everyone forgot about it. And, you know, you talk about Coley losing it. I mean, there was accusations where Steve Smith sort of signaled for a replay when he was batting and all sorts of stuff. So it, it got very nasty last time um, on the field on the field most wickets taken in the series Ashwin with 25 wickets at an average of 17.28 Jadeja was second with 22 wickets at an average of 18.86 and then Nathan Lyon 22 wickets at an average of 22.36 Ashwin and Jadeja shared the player of the series award and uh, 
yeah, fitting fitting award, I think. Yeah, and congratulations to, to Nathan Lyon that um, to be almost as good as them in terms of the average for the series in a, in a beaten side uh, to get the plaudits from Rahul Dravid. I mean, he was he was complimenting the entire spinning uh, trio, uh, but uh, Steve Smith said it's the best he's ever seen Nathan Lyon bowl. Um, you know, I've apologised before for my idiot statement <laughs> saying that he should be dropped after the first test. Um, he's proven me wrong. <laughs> I'm glad that he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> um, so, um, and Todd Murphy averaged 25, taking 14 wickets, a real find, and hopefully someone that can be pers- uh, persevered with as well. So, certainly, certainly one for the spin bowlers. The, noticeably as well that the uh, Indian quicks have very respectable figures, whereas the Aussies were pretty barren. Just on what Rahul Dravid said, he he said it's one of the best spin attacks he's ever seen Australia bring to India. Well, he said it was the best he'd seen. He said other attacks have had better bowlers in it, but this one was the most complete spin attack. And I actually do think that comment has some merit. I, I think, well, Stephen O'Keefe was a very good second spinner in 2017, um, but, you know, you've got Murphy and Kuhneman alongside line that both – had pretty good tours. You consider that Murphy and Kuhneman, it was their first taste of test cricket. That was a very exceptional performance. So I think Dravid's point is well made and quite pertinent that, you know, Lyon's getting to the end of his career and now that there's a, a couple of real options are waiting in the wings. And credit to Cricket Australia and the selectors for, for what they've done. And, and you know, I've criticised some of the preparation that maybe we haven't focused on this series as much as we should have over the past six years and that some of the A programs have been um, uh, pulled away. Um, but that's very, very impressive, especially Murphy. Um, they have got him over there bowling in Indian conditions. And so um, it's going to be interesting, though, because um, where does he go from here? It's not often that Australia needs two spinners ever. Uh, Nathan Lyon, I think, will be around um, for a while yet to come. So it's going to be an interesting kind of um, uh, position for him to be in, that he may well be featuring fairly heavily whenever we tour the the subcontinent. But um, other than that, might not be in the side at all. So that's going to be something that they're going to have to, to balance and um, it'll be interesting to watch. Yes, and I, I think Murphy will be the second spinner on most tours. I think he'll go on the Ashes, and if Lyon needs to be replaced, it'll be Murphy. But I guess Kuhneman's the one who's really in a, an interesting situation because it's very r- rare that Australia play three spinners. So you know, he, he might not get a look in, I don't know, for a few years until we go back to the subcontinent. So, yeah, um, yeah, interesting spots in their career. And that is kind of the frustration with Sheffield Shield cricket that – the way it's played at the moment, and hopefully this changes, that there's not a lot of opportunities for spin bowls. You know, it's played early in the season. It's played late in the season. doesn't seem like there's many tracks that turn. So, you know, limited opportunities to continue his craft. Yes, and it is valuable that um, it's not just tours of India, but I think tours of Bangladesh and Sri Lanka and to a degree Pakistan, where that left arm spinner can be um, highly valued. Um, I would love to see us focus on this and obsess on this as you know, that it should be that cricket is trying to say, right, what would, what do we need to do to um, give us every chance in 2027 of, of, of winning in India? Uh, you know, I, I'm often amused by listening to English podcasts, how much they obsess over the ashes. And I love it. Like you'll hear them talking the first test match of the summer and someone's bowled well and someone will go, yeah, but can you see him taking a lot of wickets in Brisbane? You think Brisbane, 
that's um, 18 months away. What are they talking about? And they're like, that's what I'd like to see, um, you know, here, that uh, a young spinner comes on, takes a couple of wickets, should be right. Let's get him over to India to see whether he's really um, really got it. A young batter comes on the scene and makes a lot of runs. Um, like Labashain, for example, it should be right. Um, much in the way that in the old days, you know, Greg Chappell went to, had two extensive county seasons in the early 1970s. And then when he went on the ashes of 1972, scored 100 on a diabolical wicket and um, attributed the experience that he'd had in those in those county seasons. We've got to do the same um, for, for, the, for developing young players as well. Um, I think we did it to an extent in the last six years. We've got to, I think we've got to obsess over it in the next four. I think it's a bit harder for Aussies to go over there, but I think Todd Murphy has signed a contract with the county side. So that's really good news for him. On that, what you were saying about... Um, the way English obsess about the Ashes and you'd like to see the Australians obsess a bit more about the tour of India. I mean, I still think if you look at the sort of the general population of Australia, the average sports fan, so not the cricket obsessive, but, you know, the sports fan that's pretty locked into cricket, but, you know, not like us where their whole life revolves around it, um, that I still think, in a way, Ash's victory would mean significantly more to the general public than, in a way, Indian tour victory. And, yeah, I see still see that gap being quite large. Yeah, I think to a degree it is. But I think that the two key points are, one, um, although we've had a barren run in, in England of recent times, our overall away record in England is far better than our away record in India, that you would expect that at some point in the coming years we're going to get, we're going to win in England from time to time. Uh, hopefully we're going to win in India as well. But if I said to you, guess what? I've just looked into a crystal ball. We don't win in India for the next thirty years. You wouldn't faint in shock, would you? Um, it's 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 a possibility that that's the. Sort. But if I said we're not going to win the Ashes again in England for thirty years, you would faint. So there's. That, well, there's one. I'm sorry. If you'd have said to me in two thousand and one, we will not win an Ashes series in England until we don't know because we haven't won. You know, part. You know, we won't win an Ashes series in England until at least twenty twenty three. If you'd said that to me in two thousand and one, I'd have probably had a heart attack and died. Like you'd be doing <laughs> this podcast with someone else. It's still doing it be with Patrick at the moment. Yes, but I think that you that's missing the point that so not missing the point, but 2005, we almost won. 2009, we were very, very competitive. 2013, we got belted 3 0, but um, as the, the next series in Australia where we beat them 5 0 shows, it was probably a little bit closer than that. 2015, it was 3 2, and 2019, we drew it. We were very much closer than we have been some of the thrashings that we've been dealt with, dealt by um, in India. But more, more pertinently, I'm not talking so much about what the average fan needs to do. I'm saying it should be a, a cricket Australia. Um, it should everything that through the fibre of their every fibre of that organisation should be um, th- th- that question of but will he take wickets at the Gabba that I was talking about that the podcasters ask at every cricket Australia board meeting it should be yeah but will he will he score runs in Ahmedabad um, and and let the let the the decisions flow flow from that and also know, lastly I yes. think that the uh, average fan now, it's certainly the Australia-India series is second only to the Ashes and it's rising um, rising all the time. That that I was, t- I was saying that, you know, in some of the other podcasts, hearing mainstream radio that this time of year in Sydney is normally only going to talk about rugby league and we'll talk about cricket grudgingly when it's really big. They were talking about cricket enthusiastically. They'd clearly watched it. They were, you know, they were eager to talk more about it and that doesn't happen outside an Ashes series, really. Um, next thing is to try to get it onto free-to-air television, if that still exists, if that still exists in 2027. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. Now, the most runs scored in the Border Gavaskar Trophy Series, if unbelievable, Usman Kawaja, the leading run scorer of both teams, 333 runs at an average of 47.57. We spoke a lot about him after his fantastic innings of 180, but really what a story um, after all the chatter about his performances in India. He silenced the critics. And it really was a comeback story as well. Virat Kohli, the second leading run scorer, the man who'd been in diabolical form for years in test cricket, made 297 runs at an average, just under 50, and returned to the century scorer's circle in that final test match and removed the significant uh, monkey off his back heading into the World Test Championship final. Surprising, surprisingly, Aksar Patel was third with 264 runs and an average of 88. And he really was, I guess, decisive in these. You know, you talk about the importance of those runs. Those 264 runs were some of the most valuable runs in the series. If I'd said to you before the series that Aksar Patel may well be the difference between the two sides, oh, and by the way, he takes three wickets in the series, You'd have, probably, you'd have had a bit of a puzzled look on your face. That's, um, yeah, I mean, I think he won them the series in many ways. Obviously, Ashwin and Jadeja, um, you know, also won them the series because they were absolutely brilliant. But his lower order runs were were crucial. Other notable performances, of course, uh, were Cameron Green with his um, debut 100 and Shubman Gill, the two youngsters really coming of age. Minus Labashain was fourth on the list of run scores, 244 runs at a tick over 40. He made just one score over 50 in the series. So that shows the consistency that he got a lot of starts. And I guess, Paul, for a player that hadn't been to India before, and you, you look at some of the great players that go to India and struggle on their first tour, he actually did pretty well. Yeah, I think you'd say that's that's the case. I mean, uh, in recent years, that would be one of his lowest averages, an average of 41 in a series. And, 41's a very, very respectable um, average. He'll feel that it was a disappointing series, uh, but still, um, the, the figures are, are certainly decent, as you say. Yes, yeah, so that is the, the main stats. Uh, what do you think about the captaincy of Rohit Sharma? Because my sort of guts tell me I like... I think India was a better team when Kohli was the skipper. I liked the way he led the team. Uh, I felt tactically India weren't as sharp as, I don't know, I just felt, I just think India under Sharma is not the same beast as it was under Kohli. I think I'd have to, um, I'd have to see him under more more pressure as a fielding captain. Um, I think that's where you really separate yourself as a captain when, now I know in the, in, in this match in the, in the, in the first innings, Australia got 480, but it was it was a very flat pitch. I, I, I think where someone like Ian Chappell uh, would distinguish himself is um, when you've got not much going on and his fielding positions would be suitably aggressive, his bowling changes would be suitably intelligent and aggressive, that he would elevate himself over the sort of the average captain. And so, I, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, um, yeah, I can't really comment so much on that. I think that he seems pretty calm and... But I, I think it's one of these series that it probably didn't matter who was captain of in, in India, that it didn't make a decisive difference. Now, you've got three turning points in the series, Paul. What <clears> are <throat> they? What are the three things that led India to walk away with this coveted trophy yet again and leave the Aussie fans in a world of pain? 
Well, the first thing is India were just better. So they they could point to some turning points mm. of themselves where, you know, their collapse in the third test of the first innings and stuff like that. But as far as the ones that really bothered me as an Aussie was forgotten now, but that first test match, um, in the first innings, Australia went from six for 152, which, you know, we probably should have got 250, but we only got At least over 200 from there. Yeah, at least over 177. <laughs> yeah. So to, to go from 6 for 152 to 177 all out, compare that to India, who were at one stage 5 for 168. And even when they were 7 for 240, then I've written here we should have kept them to at least 300, and they ended up getting 400. So they took a lead of 223 in the first innings, and I've sort of said maybe if, if if the performances had been where we should have been able to get them to, the lead might have been 50. Now we got rolled in the second innings and doesn't probably didn't really matter, but I think that the, the trajectory of the game would have been different. So that was, I, I think, disappointing. But then, you know, it's, it's no surprise that the two big turning points that were super disappointing for the Australians uh, were firstly that 114-run partnership for the eighth wicket by Ashwin and Patel in the uh, first innings of the second test. Australia finished up with a lead of one. They really should have had a much more substantial lead, uh, but Ashwin and Patel sort of broke their hearts. But even that, having got to the next day to be one for 65, we talked before about that lovely cover drive that Travis Head hit on that second morning. Um, and I said that was the <laughs> the last time that I'd been happy to be one for 65, leading by 66, batting ourselves into potentially a winning position and getting bowled out for 113. And, you know, some of the shots were shots that they're not very go- not going to look back on very fondly. That's obviously going to be the moment that everyone talks about. And as I said at the start of this little summary, Indians could say, well, we collapsed in the third innings, in the first innings of the third test. We'd like to have that again as well. But just to indulge ourselves, if we could go back in time to that moment then and say to everyone, like, just play, play it a little bit differently. Don't try and sweep every ball for six. Um, who knows? Um, that that was, I think, the big moment that the that India won the series. Certainly a big turning point. But I, I sort of push back and I hate it when the players say, oh, you know, one bad hour. You know, if not for one bad hour in Delhi, things could have been different. I mean, they still got smashed in the first test. I think, you know, it was a terrible team selection in the first test. Kuhneman wasn't even in the country and we saw how important he was the rest of the series. Uh, Head didn't even play. So I, I don't like this sort of, oh, we had one bad hour. You, you didn't really just have one bad hour. I mean, that that's the one that stands out. Um, but yeah. I think Australia did a lot of things wrong. But you, you're right. You could say, well, India could say, well, we had one bad hour at indoor, so let's cancel them out. So, uh, you know, the way that I've talked then, it's like a golfer saying, um, you know, oh, well, I lipped that putt out. I missed that one there. I missed that one there. And, you know, I should have got five shots better. Whereas in actual fact, I've not talked about the one where I fluked this and I fluked that. So, yeah, I mean, um, India were definitely the better side. There's no doubt about that. All right, so look, let's move on from the Border Gavaskar Trophy because the one-day series between India and Australia starts this Friday night, Australian time. It's a three-match 50-over one-day series, and it's a really important series because the World Cup is in India is in India later this year, so it's a chance for the Australian side in particular to get some practice in those conditions and start to look at what will be their best 11 come is it October? I think it starts come October. So it actually, you know, a lot of one-day series get sort of painted as being insignificant and uninteresting, but I'm actually really looking forward to this one. 
Yeah, I was kind of prepared to um, do my usual thing and bag the hell out of it and make all my little jokes about in three months' time, even the players won't remember who won. But, um, you know, I'm starting to look forward to it as well. And um, it's funny, every time I look at the Australian one-day side, because it seems that they're in fits and starts these days, I... When I last looked at the one-day side, I would have known every intricacy of who could be in, who could be out. When I, it's like I'm starting at it fresh. I mean, you know, who are the is it Boone and Marsh the openers? I, you know, it's because they haven't Steve played Warren. for a year. I mean, they played those meaningless games against England, and they, they've hardly played a fifty-over game. So I'm not surprised. Uh, so yeah, on the but team, I'm looking news, forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking and fifty-over cricket in India is still beloved, and it's also. Mm. Uh, it's also a great spectacle there. I think yes. there's a lot of dimensions to it. The actual middle overs with the spin are a bit more interesting than, say, in Australian conditions. So, yes. Um, um, and so just on the Australian squad, Nathan Ellis has replaced Joe Richardson. He has an injury. Uh, Pat Cummins is not returning after the death of his mother, so Steve Smith will continue in his role as caretaker captain. Warner and David Warner and Ashton Agar are going back. So they've come home. Now they're going back. So there are a few changes to the Australian squad. I guess the big inclusions, Adam Zampa, Marcus Doinus, Mitchell Marsh, uh, Josh Inglis um, are all, and Glenn Maxwell are probably some players to watch. I mean, uh, Paul, sort of looking at, I've got some questions here about what spots I think are up for grabs in the Australian 50 over side. Can I just preface it just for one indulgent moment? Yeah. Because I don't want to derail you once you're going. And I know you don't like talking about players that aren't there, but how in the hell is Tim <laughs> David not even considered for this side? Um, this is, you know, I know he hasn't played much list day or whatever else, but you just look at him and if you had – if you're Rohit Sharma and Tim David's walking out to bat, you're nervous because he could do anything over there and we should have him in the World Cup. Uh, I don't care what anyone says. It's a mistake that he's not there. I don't know if he should even be in the squad, but they should be looking at him, definitely. He should um, be the first player picked. The first player picked ahead I'm of Glenn a, Maxwell? Ahead of everyone. He's, the, I mean, his record in T20 cricket is so good um, and he's so destructive. For the World Cup, having him in the side is far, far better than not having him in the side. He's the first player I'd pick. And the fact that they didn't pick him, um, you know, oh, know it's just unbelievable. And not only that, they, I don't think they even contemplated him. They could probably pick at a second side and they wouldn't pick him there because they've they've pigeonholed him as, oh, he, he can only play 20 over cricket. If he gets to play 50 over, he wouldn't know what to do. He'd probably walk out with a tennis racket. <laughs> the only time I've seen David play 50 over cricket was for Surrey uh, summer before last in England. All right, now, these are some spots that I think are up for grabs in the Australian 50 over side. So if you assume Warner makes it to the 50-over World Cup, there is one opening spot left. Travis Head's probably the early favourite, but I think it's a long way to go. Um, who, who do you think could slot into that opening spot? Well, I think Cameron Green. I mean, he, he's done it um, in the in the T20 stuff. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind him um, opening the innings up. Your mate Steve Smith, I think that wouldn't be the worst choice as well. Um Travis said, I've got no problem with him opening. Warner's a funny one. I, I've always been a huge fan of David Warner. And whenever I've been saying, you know, no, his time's up, his time's up, I've never said that. I'm at the point right now where if I – if and I know these games don't matter so much in terms of the result. We're looking just for, for, for the future. But if I was picking the side for the first one-day game and they said, listen, all, you want to do, all we want to do is win this game, we don't care how, I don't think I'd have Warner in the side based on that squad at the moment. I don't think he's in my top 11 from the squad of 16 that they've got over there. 
I still think Warner's quite a good uh, 50 over play. So I'd like to see a bit more of him. He did score some runs against England in that series last summer. The other option for opener is Josh Inglis. He opened for Western yep. Australia in a recent 50 over game. He's a lovely stroke player and would do very well with the field up. So, you know, that'll be a coveted spot because opening in 50 over cricket is, is very um, sought after. And then you've got the all rounders. Now, this is where I agree with you. I don't think Matt, well, I don't think Maxwell and Stoinis, especially Stoinis, have done enough in 50-over cricket, especially considering their performances in the last World Cup, where I thought they were well below par, both of them, have done enough to say they're the all-rounder. So I could see Cameron Green, if he's not opening, playing in the middle order and and, and performing, say, Stoinis' role as a finisher and a, 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 a second or third change bowler. And then you've, you've got players like Tim David, um, who, who also um, might make a, a play for the middle order. Tim David? Yes. He's not in the squad. Oh, no, I'm just saying sort of for the World Cup. What, oh. Like I'm saying, I, I don't think Maxwell and Stoinis have locked down the all-rounders spot. Right, okay. I thought, <laughs> um, I thought I'd had a stroke. I was like, didn't I just have a go, go crazy about Tim David? Um, <laughs> um, when you said that you agree with me that, um, and then you sort of said that Maxwell's not a lock for the World Cup, I... I'm still pretty much picking him for the World Cup. I'd like to see something out of him, but I think he'll be rejuvenated from um, his injury. And I, I don't think I could ever bring myself to have him not in this World Cup side. But where, where I'm interested is, um, do we definitely say that Cummins and Stark, and if he's fit um, and injury-free down the track, Hazelwood are in our side for the World Cup? With In those Indian conditions, I look at someone like Abbott and say, um, does he bring more to the table than some of those other bowlers? He's a better batter. Um, he's a very clever bowler. Ellis is someone I, I'm surprised wasn't in the squad initially. I'm, I'm delighted that he's over there now, but um, he's really grown on me of late as well. So I just think in Indian conditions, um, I suppose I'm saying I, I know that Cummins is not in the squad now. I don't think Cummins is a, is necessarily a lock for my first 11 for the World Cup even. Well, that's, he's the captain, so going by... The yeah, but again, I, I don't... I, of yeah, course they will. But that's, but, um, that's the problem. I know, but they, the, just because they're going to make the mistake doesn't mean I can't point it out. Like you know. Oh no, um, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on that. I like the way you're thinking, Sean Abbott. He's had some outstanding performances for Australia in 50 over cricket. He has, I think, the most economical spell ever in one day cricket. You know, 10 overs for two runs or something. So he's certainly one. You're right. Ellis brings something different. Uh, but, you know, it's a real challenge to break up the Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins triumvirate. I mean, injuries sometimes do it, but I, I don't think the selectors will be that daring and break them up ahead of a World Cup. Don't get me wrong. I love them. And I think that they're, you know, they're a, wonderful, <laughs> they're a wonderful trio of bowlers. And uh, especially if Hazelwood gets back to his best, you know, if he gets all of his injuries gone uh, and it just emphasising he's not in the squad, so he's not. We're not talking about for these upcoming games, but for the future, then and, and, you know, and Stark on his day um, is devastating, um, and Cummins is one of the best bowlers I've ever seen. I just think in Indian conditions where, you know, you could see one where Cummins bowls a decent bouncer, gets a top edge hook that at the MCG would be caught 10, 10 15 meters in on an Indian, Indian ground, sails into the um, into the crowd. Um, I, I'm just yeah. I, I think I'd be edging more towards players like Ellis and Abbott. Obviously, I think that there's going to be pretty spin-heavy Zampa and 
um, agar will be in there. And then you've got to also note that we can afford to go fairly hard on the batting because, I mean, if we've got the players of the calibre of Green, um, Travis Head could bowl some overs, Maxwell could bowl some overs, Mitchell Marsh and Marcus Stoinis, that uh, if some or all of those players are in the 11, we are, you know, potentially there's your fifth bowler um, and potentially your fourth bowler coming out of them. I do like a, a long batting lineup in Indian conditions. And just looking at the Indian squad, some names that really jump out to me. Well, just on the news front, uh, Shreya Sire, who didn't bat in the last test match, is still in doubt for the series. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Ishan Kishan bat. He's a very exciting left-handed batter. Hardik Pandya obviously comes in as vice-captain. We know how devastating he can be. Uh, so, and, you know, Shubman Gill we saw in the test series, but, you know, he, he made a double hundred in ODI cricket. So a lot to like. And then there's Surya Kumar Yud- mm. Yadav, the most exciting player in world cricket. So it is going to be a blockbuster series. Yeah. Look at the the squad. It's just incredible. Like you could, um, the vast majority of them just jump off the page as, as, as fantastic players. So, yep. Um, looking forward to looking forward to seeing how the Aussies go against them. And the last time Australia played India in an ODI series, Australia were 2-0 down in the series. This was in India and ended up coming back to win 3-2. That was in 2019. Was that Ashton Turner? Ashton Um, Turner and Usman Khawaja. I saw that he made a century in a match-winning effort. And and it did make me think that Khawaja would be a pretty good player to look at for this World Cup. Yeah, so would Ashton Turner, actually. Um, Well, I think one's, one's doing a bit better than the other at the moment. Turner did well in the Big Bash. Um, yeah, it's okay. His form's fallen off a bit. Whereas I think Kawaja, you could, you know, you could stick him up the top. Say Warner didn't make it to the World Cup. That, that'd be a, a slotting uh, replacement. Oh, absolutely. I'd have no trouble whatsoever with Kawaja being there. <laughs> I'd have no trouble with Nathan Lyon being in there, to be quite honest. <laughs> Todd Murphy. Well, Tom Murphy's one that they should look at. I mean, you know, he did so well. He did very well for the Sixers in the Big Bash. He almost got picked ahead of Lyon. He, he he might be better than Ashton Agar in 50-over cricket. I mean, I know that would be crazy for the selectors because they've invested, you know, all this time in Agar and they're desperate to see it pay off. But why not Todd Murphy? I think, oh, yeah, I think Murphy would be well worthy of consideration. I think his batting does need to improve. Um, but I think that Agar has bowled pretty well in white ball cricket. And so um, he seems a vastly better white ball bowler than a red ball bowler. All right, now let's get in. Let's move on from the ODI series because we've got a lot of news to catch up. We're still in India. We haven't left India yet because it's the Women's Premier League. Um, this is a very uh, Indian-heavy podcast, cricket out of India. So the Women's Premier League, uh, it's about halfway through the group stage and the Mumbai Indians and the Delhi Capitals are on top with eight points each. The Mumbai Indians are undefeated, so they're on top. Four wins from four matches. The Capitals, four wins from five matches. The real story is the Royal Challenges Bangalore. Five matches, five losses. A huge, so disappointing from them to begin the tournament. An abject failure. And I hope their women's team doesn't mirror the, the sort of catastrophic um, run that the men's team has had in the IPL because, you know, they remind me of the Melbourne Stars. They just, they promise a lot but never deliver. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's, that's striking for me is just 
I suppose it's it's not that of a, a surprise in hindsight, but just the size of the scores and, you know, the grounds are a little bit smaller and in, in India you do get to, um, you know, the, the scores do mount, but um, several scores over 200. Um, it's, a, it's a vastly different sort of um, style of match than what we're used to in the in the women's big bash. Yeah, so the highest score so far has been by the Delhi Capitals. They hit two for 223. They also hit the second highest score, four for 211. There's been four scores over 200. Individual scores, well, no surprises. Elisa Healy is on the top with 96 not out of 47 balls. Um, Second place, another Aussie, Talia McGrath, 90 not out. And then the young Indian Shafali Verma with 84. And the strike rates, Healy 204.25, McGrath 180, Verma 186.66. So some exhilarating cricket. And then now this is, okay, Paul, just be ready for this. Three players have taken a five-wicket haul. Marizana Cap, five for 15. And then American Tara Norris, five for 29, born in Pennsylvania. So an American female cricketer starring in the IPL. What a story. Kim Garth, four overs, five for 36, the third five-wicket haul. Uh, Tara Norris has played some cricket in England. Uh, so she's, uh, That's where she's continued her career from a younger age. And just a fantastic story that, that a player from an associate nation um, would do so well. Yeah, I mean, she did move to England when she was eight, so uh, it would be an even better story if she'd lived the whole life in the USA and um, somehow had got into cricket. Uh, but that is pretty cool. All right, so moving on, keeping with the the theme of massive scores, uh, let's move to the Pakistan Super League. Now, this all happened last week, Paul. The Sultans made three for two sixty two in their first innings. The Gladiators made eight for two fifty three in reply. Peshwa Zalmi made Pesh, Peshwa Zalmi made two forty two for six, but they lost to the Sultans, who made six for two forty four. The Lahore Qualanders made two hundred twenty six for five, and they won pretty easily. Zalmi again made two for two forty. They're thinking, okay, we've got to win this one. Now Gladiators two for two forty three. So that's just one week. Last week there were six centuries in the Pakistan Super League. Incredible week um, in Pakistan. Yeah, absolutely. So leading the, well, the, the top four are Lahore, uh, the Moulton Sultans, Islamabad and Peshawar Zalmi. They're the top four. Uh, Karachi and the Qualanders didn't make the finals. Uh, three Pakistani players lead the most runs. Rizwan with 483, Babur Azam with 416 and Imad Wazim with 404. Haven't seen enough of that, but um, I sort of lost interest. I think Matt Wade was with the Karachi Kings and then sort of got dropped and came home, so I sort of lost interest. Yeah, Wade watched. So, huh. um, it's the sort of tournament I would more than happily watch every ball of, but the bandwidth is only so wide. And um, with the Bordas Gavaskar on and um, and other things, I haven't, yeah, I haven't been able to focus on it, but um, would happily do so one day if I could. I... Thought about that recently. You know, there's the Women's Premier League at the moment. There's the PSL. There's had the Test Series. I mean, can we just not, like, just, I don't know, find somewhere away from our families and have bills and jobs and just watch cricket all the time? Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. You have, like, um, nine screens up somewhere. Yeah. Um, be pretty cool. 
Whenever someone I hear someone say, "Oh, I don't know what I'd do if I retire," I think not a cricket fan. Definitely not a cricket <laughs> fan. <laughs> All right, uh, moving to the domestic scene. Uh, as we we reported on the Marsh Cup final last full episode, but it was halfway through. Well, Western Australia ended up winning in a canter over South Australia after making close to four hundred in the first innings. But you know, congratulations to South Australia because they've had a really dire run at all forms of domestic cricket, but finally they're showing some glimpses of good form. And to make a final is a good achievement. So, yeah, congratulations to Jason Gillespie, friend of the show, good friend mm-hmm. of the show. Um. And then the big news was Curtis Patterson, the New South Wales captain, who probably only two years ago was looking at trying to reclaim his test spot, has been dropped from the New South Wales team. Probably deserved because he's averaging under 30 this season. But uh, big news, Paul. Yeah. I mean, you can't really quibble with it, as you said. Um, 417 runs from... Nine innings with two not outs, average of 29.8. Uh, scored them quite slowly as well, strike rate of 43. Um, yeah, very, very disappointing. So they've picked a fair few new players for the New South Wales team that are playing today. And uh, I guess the squad will change a lot between now and next season. But when you think he you know, he made that his test debut, made 144 in the test match at, at Marnica Oval against Sri Lanka, I probably thought he had a decent career in front of him as he's now out of the state side. So it's a real sort of, um, you know, his career is at the crossroads. Yeah, he did have a lot of, um, uh, not, I suppose, bad luck in timing in that um, he made those runs just ahead of the Ashes, wasn't it, um, of, of 2019. Mm. He was in that bat-off um, uh, at the Rose Bowl in Southampton where the, the bowl, very bowler-friendly uh, didn't ultimately ultimately make the the squad. I'm right. I'm right in that. And I have yes, you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we saw him. Uh, I think the first game of the next season in the Shield, um, uh, pull a uh, calf muscle. I think it was uh, out on the boundary, and then he's kind of um, out for a while and has been in the wilderness to a degree since. So, yeah, when that, uh, ugh, I think it's legally obliged to mention he's still. Has he still got the highest Test average ever? Um, yeah. And he was actually the first episode, the first interview on this podcast when it brand, rebranded as Cricket Unfiltered. So another friend of the show, and uh, maybe he'll yeah. have more time to come on the podcast now. Well, hopefully uh, or, he can bounce back. Um, he's not that old yet. I mean, he could still he could still do good things. Yeah, terrific guy. I think he's a very good batter, and hopefully uh, he turns things around. That's all the the, the headlines. Thanks uh, for everybody for listening to the cricket headlines but we're not going anywhere let's get into listener mail now i've been meaning to read this one out for a while this is from jay in manchester as an this is uh, to the cricket unfiltered crew as an englishman who supports west indies in cricket i'm probably not in your normal demographic for listeners but i have appreciated your work on this show for a long long time going back to the old australian cricket podcast days so for those that are just starting to listen, that the show started in 2013 as the Australian Cricket Podcast and then rebranded in late 2017 as Cricket Unfiltered. And then um, Jay's asked, um, did he like to listen back to a few of those older episodes? Is there any way to find them? If you go to a website called Pod Bay, Pod Bay, it has most of our episodes. We've done, I think, over 600 now 
we've been doing weekly shows for almost 10 years plus yeah a lot of extra episodes in there with all the daily wraps but if you go to pod bay you can find some of our older episodes and actually we will be posting a lot of the feature interviews we've had 15 australian captains on the show we'll be putting them on our youtube page over the coming months so keep an eye out for that uh, then jason some really nice things about the show um so thank you very much, Jay, for those. But then he has a quibble with us, Paul. And his quibble was from when we were talking about when we downplayed Jimmy Anderson as merely a very good bowler in English conditions. He writes, of course, he has a better record at home, like virtually every other cricketer. But how many other fast bowlers are rated number one in the world at the age of 40 or taken 200 wickets at 20.56 since turning 35? From that birthday, he also averages under 27 in all eight countries he's played in. For skills and fitness sustained over two decades, there is every chance that we won't see someone do this ever again. So let's just enjoy it. What are your thoughts? Um, well, that's a, a, a lovely um, a lovely note, Jay. Um, thank you uh, very much indeed. Um, I, I think with with regards to Jimmy Anderson, it was, I don't think we're trying to downplay it. It's more that I think that we probably are both in agreement that um, he's a wonderful bowler, but that he's not quite the very best of, uh, of the modern era as some people kind of talk about. And I think the fact that... He has that enormous number of test wickets, 685 test wickets uh, at an average of 26.0. That is incredible. And the fact that he's at this age now, number one in the world, and he's had such a, you know, all those numbers that Jay wrote. But I suppose um, I'm just looking at who I think are the best bowlers that I have um, seen since first watching cricket in the mid, in the mid 1980s. And, that's all I was saying. That you, I think, men, as you said, he's probably not in the top twenty. And after that show, I went and wrote down the ones that I thought, if I was being honest, that I would rate above Jimmy Anderson. It's not a criticism of him. You know, I, I put him around about the twentieth position in forty years of watching cricket to be the twentieth best fast bowler. That's that, I'm not meant to be. I'm not meaning to damn him with faint praise, but in no particular. Well, well, I, order, think, the- I think you can separate though. Just to, before you give your list, I think you can separate his achievement in longevity. And, you know, having a very long, sustained career. So that is an achievement in itself. But then you can look at other bowlers whose skills were slightly higher. Well, yeah. And I think as well that the, the the notion that just because he's taken um, uh, the, the most test wickets by any fast bowler ever, that therefore he's, um, you know, the, the greatest and, you know, England's greatest as well. I just don't sort of, um, I don't see that that goes. And I always go back to the fact that you look at... Um, test runs, Alex Stewart to this day is the fourth most um, runs scored by an English batter. You wouldn't say that he's the fourth best batsman that England has ever produced. Anyway, um, rough list of bowlers that I would rate above Anderson, not by much, some of them, in no particular order, Lily, McGrath, Cummins, Alan Donald, Stain, Philander, Rabada, Hadley, Bumrah, Akram, Imran Khan, Wacko Yunus, Malcolm Marshall, Joel Garner, Kirtley Ambrose, Michael Holding, Courtney Walsh and Sean Pollock. I think that most people would agree with most of those, you know, maybe some of them would quibble with one or two like Rabada. Um, but I think you look at his record, it's absolutely fantastic. And I think, you know, there's 18 of them. If I put Jimmy Anderson at say 19, um, that's, that's pretty good. I'd probably put Cummins in there at 19 ahead of. No, I've got Cummins oh, in there already. Oh, three. You've got him at three. Wow. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not in order. 
Okay. I'll just those eight are in any order. Um, oh, good. If I had to have a number one, it would probably be Malcolm Marshall followed by Kurtley Ambrose. That'd be probably. And I'd probably two. have Paul Rifle in this list ahead of um, Jimmy Anderson as well. <laughs> Terry Alderman. There's a few. Anyway, Jay, Ryan thank Harris. you. Yeah, Ryan Harris, fantastic bowler. If his knees had uh, hadn't given up, he'd still be going. But look, I, as I said, I think Jimmy's a fantastic bowler. As I said, I just sort of, I still, and this is sometimes where you and I argue, Paul. Is I still and I, I still think there is something in the eye test, like what looks like it's better. Hmm. Well, if that's the case, he looks better than all of them. He's a beautiful bowler. No, I just mean like what skill wise, like you know. Um, I know he's a very handsome guy, but I'm, you know, just skill wise, like skill wise, you know, no, his skill wise. If if you had no numbers, you'd say he's the best of them all. Like his action is sublime. The way he swings the ball is absolutely magnificent. You're arguing for Jay now. No, I'm just saying, like when I saw Alan Donald bowl at the SCG, like that was, hot. you know, he was a great bowler. You know, fantastic. Yeah, but, but I think people would you, say that when you see Jimmy Anderson bowl, it's like poetry come to life. Maybe. Um, maybe. But I mean, the other thing is that Jay raises the point that his his record since turning thirty five is absolutely phenomenal. Like the average of twenty one, uh, I, I don't know what's going on there. Um, and that's uh, it's a it's a hard thing for me to reconcile. And the only thing I'd say is I haven't done this yet, but I, and if someone wants to do it, please do. Can you someone check the average average of England bowl England of, of fast bowlers in England in the last um, since Jimmy Anderson has turned thirty five? Have, has the Duke's ball got a bit um, harder for batters? It seems seems to have been very difficult for batters in recent years in England. Has that played a part in, or am I doing Jimmy Anderson a disservice? If someone can, um, if someone can show that Jimmy Anderson's average has just organically dropped to twenty one and there's no other explanation, then I'd start to have some truck with him being much higher up the list. Well, great email, Jay. Thanks for being such a loyal listener for so long. We love hearing from the listeners. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, the email is in the episode notes. So send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, there's some questions in the YouTube comments. We'll get to them. But now first, it's that little bit of cricket news you just can't let go of. All right, so it's the can't let it go segment. Now, Paul, I'm going to go first because I've got three uh, can't let it goes. I just couldn't whittle them down. So the first one is um, Mike Baird and Todd Greenberg, so the new chairman of Cricket Australia and the head of the Players Association were both interviewed uh, during this test series, and they both said that the, the negotiations between the players and Cricket Australia are going pretty well because they have a new, basically, contract to sign between both parties this year. And in 2017, it got very, very ugly. It was awful for the game. So I'm glad that it seems like things are going to progress a little bit more smoothly this time. What's your kind of go? Um, well, my one, uh, for anyone who wants to hear my rant on the pitches, uh, please listen to yesterday's podcast that we did. I've decided to – I said my piece then, so I don't want to go on any further. But I do – Can I just that- say – can I just say, though, I mean, I got a slightly annoyed. I was like, oh, here we go, more pitch stuff. But then everyone I've listened to since then has just been rabbiting on about the pitch. So you're not Robinson Crusoe on this one. Yeah. I mean, I think that they are a talking point. But, Why am um- I positive? What's going on? It's like I'm the positive one this last test match. It's, it's flipped. <laughs> I just want to read out Harsha Bogle's tweet. Um, I think we went a little too much to the other end for this pitch. It was too heavily skewed in favour of the bat. 
puts into perspective how well the spinners on both sides bowled. And I think that given how, you know, they're not necessarily always free to speak their mind under their contractual agreements with the BCCI, I think that's probably what comes counts as strident criticism from the um, cricketing establishment in India at the moment. So even Harsha Bogle has um, said that they, they got that pitch wrong. All right, I've got two more can't let it go. Now, this is this is totally off cricket, but I was just thrilled to see an Indian song win Best Original Song at the Academy Awards. So any film fans out there, the Triple R song, uh, Natu Natu, won an Oscar. It was the first Indian film song to ever win an Oscar. And I don't know, in Australia when we win an Oscar, everyone goes mental. And I just wonder what the Indian... Um, reception was to it so you know if you're an Indian fan listening or watching the show let me know because you know if that was an Australian it'd be on the front page of the paper about well it was really great to see them go up there and um, win that award and I've been meaning to watch Triple R for a while so I think I'll be putting that on the list to watch um, when I'm not watching cricket and my final card let it go thanks to Crick Info they put up an on this day and it, it took me back to one of the most memorable matches of my life it was the World Cup semi-final of 1996, Australia versus the West Indies. It happened on this day in 1996. So what's that? 27 years ago, Australia were four for 15. And then I think on the back of a Michael Bevan and Stuart Law partnership, able were able to set the West Indies 207. And the West Indies were cruising. Lara was not out. They were 165 for two in the 42nd over. And then unsurprisingly, the King, Shane Warne, turned the match around with the help of McGrath and Damien Fleming and the West Indies crashed to be 202 all out. And if not for the 1999 World Cup semi-final, this would still be talked about. It was just incredible. I remember it well. And I think I'll I'll add to that, if not for the fact that Australia lost the final, it would also be talked about a lot more that the final defeat to Sri Lanka took a a bit of the luster off that. But... I would say that of all the matches that I've seen of Australia winning from coming from behind, that still may well be the, the most unexpected win I've ever seen. It's the sort of win that even if you watch the highlights now, knowing the result, you still think, oh, the West Indies are going to win this. Um, yeah. It's just, I don't know how they didn't win. And there's like a run out towards the end. I think went went through to the keeper and they ran, you know, hurtling through for a bye and got run out. And so it was just... Um, yeah, absolutely incredible. A couple of it's 27 years. I know. And Damien Fleming bowled their last over in that semi-final. He also bowled the last over mm. in the 1999 World Cup semi-final against South Africa. And I had him on the show a few years ago to ask him about it. But, um, yeah, truly incredible performances. So that's my Can't Let It Go. Ended with a trip down memory lane. Now let's go to the uh, listener questions. I'm just going to read this one out. It's not a question, but Subic has said, good to see your faces. First time I've ever heard that from anybody. (laughs) Um, Now, uh, Amit, with the psychological edge that India has over Australia, do you think Australia can beat them in the World Test Championship final? Paul, firstly, do you think India has a psychological edge over Australia? Potentially in Indian conditions they do. Um, but I, I, I don't think that, and I know they've beaten Australia twice in a row in Australia, but no, I, I don't think that they do necessarily um, outside of India. So yeah, I, I think um, I think Australia can beat them in the World Test Championship final. I think Australia will beat them in the World Test Championship final, not by 
you know, I, I'm not saying that um, as a, de a definite. I'm sort of putting the draw to one side. I'm saying it's 60-40 uh, Australia is likely to win, in my opinion. Steve Smith was talking about the conditions at the Oval in his post-match press conference and said, you know, the Oval can spin and it also can have a bit of pace and bounce. But, you know, it's played early June, so really does depend on the overhead conditions in England. If it's a, you know, a cold, damp start to the summer, then don't expect a sort of dry Oval wicket. If it's a cold, damp start to the summer, it could be a one-day test match <laughs> with the two bowling lineups on offer and the, 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 the batting lineups that don't necessarily love the moving ball. Subic. Now, this is a statement, but I like it. Ian Chappell has said that Australia have no positives to take from this series. Did he really say that, Chappelle? I haven't That's... heard it, but it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> what a legend. <laughs> Ruban, the last pitch conditions were the consequence of the scathing attack of the conditions of the previous three pitches by Australia's ex-players, media, etc. So no Aussie should complain since they since they wanted such a pitch. I mean, I thought the pitch was the way it was, so India could were more likely to get a draw and therefore play in the World Test Championship final. But maybe I'm, I don't know, being silly. No, it was more likely to get a draw as well to win the, the Border Gavaskar Trophy. Um, that was their most likely way to win the Border Gavaskar Trophy. Uh, I, I can see where Ruben Loganathan's coming from in the sense that they they probably there was probably some sense of satisfaction from the Indian hierarchy saying, well, you didn't like the previous pitches, this is what you're going to get. But, I mean, to, to say that it's um, the, the, the Australian players and the media that can influence it, that's not true. That's... Um, uh, it's up to India to produce the the best pitches to produce the most entertaining cricket, and I don't think they did that in that fourth test. Yeah, I mean, you could make a claim that India doesn't take criticism that well. All right, Martin Lawrence, did you hear Ravi Shastri saying one-day cricket should be cut to 40 overs for each team? Now, Martin, great question. When I was living in England in the mid-'90s, there was a 40-over competition played by the counties, and I, I was actually staying across the road from Lords, and I would wander in there with my friend and put the feet up and watch a 40-over game, and I found it very entertaining because it takes out that kind of boring 10 overs in the middle where they sort of, you know, push the ball around. So, Martin, I think Ravi had a good idea. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a good idea for Ravi Shastri. I just think it's kind of, it's too late for that, that the 50-over format is so entrenched. And the one thing it still has is tradition. I know it began 65 overs and then 60 and then went to 55, and but it's been 50 for so long at the top level that I think... Uh, if they went to 40 overs now, it might even hasten its demise. It might even just make people think, well, what's the point of even keeping it? Um, and I call it the 240. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I was just, I, I honestly think I'm at the point where I'd almost, I've said it before, I would be happy if they just said, that's it for 50 over cricket. We wow. have had a wonderful history. Um, and now this next to this World Cup in 2023 is a 20 over World Cup. And we're going to just merge the histories of the two because I think, as well as a, as a, as an aside, as much as I love ICC events, there is a huge dilution of the significance of World Cups now that there are two uh, every four year cycle. There are going to be two T Twenty World Cups and one Fifty Over World Cup. Um, there once was a time in Australia when there was a palpable level of excitement that the the World Cup of Fifty Over Cricket was 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 looming. Um, uh, if you went around the streets of Australia now and said it. it 
tell us when the next 50 over cricket world cup is um i reckon you would be lucky to get one in a hundred who'd know that it was on this year um look i think you make some good points but i really love the 2019 50 over world cup i mean that was such a good tournament not just the final but i thought there was so much wonderful cricket there i just think it's just should be contained to you know 50 over World Cups every four years, and that's it. Because, as I said, I really love the 2019 World Cup. Yeah. I mean, I love it as well, but I just think um, in the in the modern era, uh, you know, you talk about that they've got rid of getting to 40 overs, you get rid of the 10 boring overs. I think getting 20 overs, you get rid of the 30 boring, boring overs, and that's, um, you know. <laughs> just end up with T20. <laughs> I, said, I, always, I always say the joke. If you said to the IPL, hey, guys, we've got this really great idea, um, why don't we add just at the end, um, in, in the middle of each innings, we'll add 180 balls where each batter can hit 180 singles um, and jog a single each time. And we can add five hours to the game. Would you like that? All right, Varun Menes, post that 2019 series, which Australia won 3-2 after losing the first two matches, they again toured in January 2020 and lost it 2-1 after winning the first match. Well, Varun, uh, you don't know me very well. Clearly, I you know, put the loss out of my mind because I try to only remember Australian series wins. Yeah, well, I, I don't remember um, any one day cricket well, yeah, yeah, you, I mean, you don't even care about one day cricket. You want it gone. Well, um, I mean, it's, you know. Um... <laughs> Stay tuned for our 50 over World Cup coverage. It'll just be oh, like... yeah, absolutely. I'll give, if anyone wants to fly us over there, I'll, I'll, I'll give it all. Although... Yeah. Anyway, I, I like the ebb and flow of fifty over cricket, but I think it needs that context of the tournament. So uh, yeah, I, I'm do, still not willing to work, write it off. No, look, I do agree with your point that it's better in India, and I think in some respects it's better in England as well. But with the moving ball in England, it adds something to it, and with the spin in India, and also the smaller grounds. Whereas I think it's in Australia that with um, when the the fielding restrictions ease after the 10 overs that there is such pragmatism in saying well i'd love to hit a four but instead i'm just going to hit that for a single out to deep cover and the bowler thinks oh, i would have loved a dot ball but at least it wasn't a four and i guess the problem um that both sides it should it should never be a situation where if you said to both sides before the ball this ball's going to be a single and both sides but oh, okay that's pretty cool that's doesn't that doesn't make for great sport in my opinion Martin Lawrence, you should both do a cricket version of Gogglebox. Well, thank you, Martin. Yes. But that's called a watch along, and Paul and I would like to do some of those. Um, certainly, we'll head into the Piccolo Studio sometimes and do them. Uh, yeah, not sure when, but they're certainly on the agenda. Uh, and we've also talked about. Um, here we go. Varun was upset. He says you didn't read out my first comment in the chat. Chat chat box um he said that we'd love the sa tour of india in 2019 well thank you everyone we'll have a look at those scorecards and get back to you um was that the one yes yeah Yeah. anyway so i was just going to say we're going to be doing some more ipl stuff uh we've got got a a regular show next week and then uh, we're going to do sort of a regular weekly show on the ipl it's going to be called the super over and it's going to have the six biggest IPL topics and we'll do it live on YouTube and on um, podcast apps. So yeah, lot to lots happening. Um, cricket never stops before we know it will be the ashes, but Paul, any parting words? Um, last one. It's um, 42 years since the death of Ken Barrington today, um, who 
is a strange kind of, um, he had a very unusual record where he had a very solid first class average of sort of mid 40s, but his test average was knocking on the door of 60. Um, uh, it's right up there in the sort of, the, it was like 58 or 59 or something like that. Um, he died of a of a heart attack when he was the manager of the England side on the tour of the West Indies in 1981. And Ian Botham as captain and others were saying how devastated they were. And I just saw that. I just thought, um, yeah, uh, he, was a, he was a great player in his day, long before my time of, of watching cricket. But um, yeah, Kenny Barrington, 42 years ago, died today. Couple of on this days, and um, all right. Well, that's it for Quick and Unfiltered. Thanks everybody for watching live. Thanks everybody for listening on the podcast app. All the details are in the episode notes to get in touch, and we'll be back next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.